0: Uh, Thank you so much, Tim. It's a pleasure being
1: on here. Uh, U.S. Central Command in the Strategies, Plans, and Policies Directorate for a couple of years, among the items on a very lengthy military resume, your time in the Marine Corps, uh, basically planning for contingencies such as this. Uh, Find yourself in a war room. If you're sitting in that room this morning with, with, with General Mattis and those folks, as you were back in the day, what's going on?
0: Well, for me, you know, we may not all agree. Even in a room like that, but when we look right now, we've got uh, Russian troops up in Belarus, north of Ukraine. We also got an awful lot of tro- troops, uh, Russian troops, in western, the western defensive region of Russia, and also in the southern um, defensive region of uh, Russia. So we've got a situation, and of course, um, that pretty much surrounds Ukraine. Since 2014, you know, Russia has had control over two major regions in Ukraine. And most people don't understand that. Um, Russia controls the Crimean Peninsula and also the Donbass region to the east. And that thing's actually controlled by two uh, separatist military um, organizations, the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic. The, The reason this is important is in 2014, in February and March, in 2014, under the Obama administration, Russia pressed into Ukraine, and there was no military response by the world, none. And he's been there. And, in fact, they signed uh, treaties, agreements, called the Minsk Agreements. It was Minsk I and Minsk II 2 in 2015. Now, those things were signed by everybody, but those measures inside of it, politically and military, terribly, have never been acted upon. And that's really why we're in the problem that we're in right now. But I know that Russia is building up. It's possible they'll go in. Um, our decision window is compressed, right, um, because he went in before in February and March, and he would probably do that again. Here's why. It's wintertime. When you have frozen ground, you can move tanks and people and vehicles. But in the spring, that stuff softens up the earth and turns it to mud, and it's very hard to move. And also, when he presses in in the wintertime, you can threaten an air campaign and missile campaign to take out critical infrastructure. And during winter months like this, you're, very, you're likely to get your adversary to concede and quit um, if you start taking out electrical centers that you know, for heat and such like that in the wintertime.
1: Well, so, Russia controls the you know, tap anyway, don't they? Russia controls the, the gas and oil supply anyway, not just for Ukraine, but for much of Europe.
0: They do, and that's another thing too, right? So, because of that control, there's no real NATO military response for this that seems to be unified, and that's a problem. You have countries like Germany saying, "Hey, we're not interested. We've got this Nord Stream Two gas line from Russia, giving us the majority of our of our energy needs. We want to get Nord Stream Two pipeline up uh, from Russia. So, no, thank you. They don't want to play. Turkey doesn't want to play. France." To their credit, they only want a European Union response to this and not a U.S. military-led option as a, as a response. So this is actually, actually going to fracture NATO because they're not going to be in agreement. And the case is, too, when NATO was formed in 1949, it had 12 members. It's now up to 30, and it's going to get really hard to get 30 people to agree on something. And it was only formed to prevent uh, Russian invasion into Western Europe. Mostly of those 12 countries, you know, minus Canada and America, you know, but we had their back. Mm -hmm. But when you get up to countries like Ukraine, um, they're on the border of Russia, as is Finland and Georgia, non-NATO members. But we've been asking them to join, too. Once you start putting members on the border of Russia... That's more of a threat to Russia from their perspective. From their perspective. Um, Yeah, because they want to have a buffer zone between NATO nations and themselves so that if we ever try to invade them, they have a a broader decision space or time because you have to press through non-NATO countries. And so you can respond. When someone's right up against your border, no one really likes
1: that. You know, I, I was talking about this just no. yesterday in another context. Colonel and congressional candidate Mitch Swan with us this morning. I, I, I'm remembering reading that Eisenhower, during World War II, uh, commanding the troops in Europe, I said, you would think, okay, he spent all of his time fighting the Germans. And actually, it turns out he spent most of his time trying to keep the English and the French uh, away from each other's throats. Uh, you, you mentioned <laughs> dealing with so many NATO allies, a NATO that has expanded. Uh, it, it's not just just about dealing with your adversary, it's keeping the allies on the same page or trying to.
0: Sure. I think the biggest, and so we kind of lose either way. If NATO looks fractured and weak, then Putin wins. Um, I think most likely Putin would probably go into the two regions he already controls, maybe take a strip of land to connect the two because and stop. And the reason I say that, there are certain concessions that Putin wants. Some of it, I kind of agree with the Russian admiral a few weeks back, and he wants respect. But, you know, the Minsk Accords, the they've never been um, lived up to. Those things haven't been implemented. He wants to get the Nord Stream 2 pipeline going. He wants to be more plugged in with Europe. But whatever his demands turn out to be, if he invades the entire country, he has no leverage. The whole world would turn on him. If he goes into the spaces he already occupies and looks even more threatening, then he has leverage to say, "Look." Which I suppose uh, is what President
1: Biden was talking about when he talked about a so-called minor incursion.
0: Yeah, he already controls. He already (laughs) controls two large regions, and that's the irony. Um, This isn't an you know Ukraine has had a problem already with uh, with the Russian occupation, so we have to look how you know what to find what that is limited incursion would look like under from Biden's perspective, but from mine I think it's just going to be into the two regions you already Let's
1: talk about <laughs> President Let's Biden who, who right. is talking about, Colonel Mitch Swan, talking about uh, the, the 8,500 U.S. troops are on heightened awareness and possible deployment to Eastern Europe, the Baltics. Having basically said uh, that we're not going to send troops in should Russia invade, uh, and there's no appetite for it seemingly, what would be the point of, of having troops deploy there? If you're not going to use them, what, what's their role an
0: excuse i think to escalate if something was to happen to those troops now we can respond more and i know that sounds crazy but you know if if russia outright invades all of ukraine he still hasn't attacked a nato ally but if anyone in nato is injured you can, you can leverage that and say, well, now that he's killed a few U.S. troops or someone else's troops in NATO, uh, it's game on.
1: Colonel Mitch Swan with us again, a candidate for Congress in Georgia 10, the race to replace Jody Heiss, who is making a campaign for Secretary of State. Talk about that congressional campaign for a moment. Uh, May gets ever closer here. You're out there, you're, you're you're shaking hands and meeting voters, and I'm sure trying to raise money. How goes the campaign to this point? Are you where you want to be? A lot of folks, 11 candidates. How do you separate from that pack?
0: Well, I'm just trying to separate like this. Um, I have a broad experience. Uh, in a worldview that most candidates don't have. And so I think when we go out and we speak to people, it really resonates with them. You know, I think everyone wants to get back to normalcy now after all this pandemic, you know. And I think of Ukraine and Europe and, and even Americans. Really, do we really want to keep talking about war now? It's been two years of lockdowns and shots and boosters and masks. Can we just have, you know, a moment of peace? You know, one of the things I remember, a quote that I loved from benjamin franklin said that to um to put forth benefit for the common good is divine and it doesn't seem like our world leaders ever put forth benefit for the common good anymore but i think our campaign things like that i think like our campaign just being more hopeful than others uh getting to work again opening up and um just enjoying life (laughs) that's what's resonating with people i'm tired of the fighting tired of fighting with democrats and russia and China and you know we got so many serious things in the world too like Taiwan. I see no reason for us to shift our focus onto a European country that at the end of the day doesn't really threaten Europe. So, campaign is going well.
1: Now, uh, where can folks find out about the campaign? Campaign website.
0: Ah uh, yes, sir, Colonel Swan for Congress dot com.
1: Colonel Swan for Congress.com. Again, Marine Colonel retired. Marine Colonel Mitch Swan making that campaign for Congress. His second run I came up short in 2014. The race eventually won by Jody Heiss, looking to replace Jody Heiss in that primary in May. Candidate uh, was the, the candidate qualifying, I suppose, yeah, be the first week in March. Mitch Swan, best of luck out there. Thanks for your time and your insights this morning.
0: All right. Thanks, sir.